Another piece uh, that Catholic Extension is really intentional about is our annual fund is completely integrated with our social media team. We're making sure that all of our posts have some call to action, or if it's not a call to action, it's really clearly linked to how you can make a gift, which I think is really important. It's super helpful to know that what they're getting is going to be top-notch, great communications, beautiful photos, all that kind of stuff from the annual fund team. Welcome back to Fundraising TLC. I'm John Kaneen, and today we have part two of our conversation with Catherine Cunning, Director of Development for Catholic Extension. Let's get started. Tell us a little bit about how you, with Catholic Extension or in other parts of your career, use that sort of small gift direct response program, annual appeal program, recognizing patterns perhaps inside of that program to find you know major gift prospects or mid-major, you know, to elevate people and work them up the pyramid. Anything to, to offer on that? You know, how critical is that? You know, I know you have a, a robust and, you know, appeal program there. How critical is that to the overall fundraising picture uh, at, at Catholic Extension or, or anybody you want to reference? Yeah, I, well, it's it's absolutely critical. I, I would hope it's critical everywhere. Everywhere that <laughs> I've been, it's been critical. And it's, you know, it's side by side with major gifts in so many ways. So a couple things come to mind there. One is definitely the the pipeline for major gifts is going to mm-hmm. come most consistently from annual fund givers. And you know as we talked about the event that's that's a great source, but it's it's not bread and butter and your annual fund, you know, donors are the people who are in it with you sometimes consistently over many years, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the one of the patterns or benchmarks that we look for at Catholic Extension, but we've done, you know, I've done this other other organizations as well are really those, you know, who's coming in with the larger first time gift, mm-hmm. right? So for us, for me personally, that's like I'm looking at a $500 Mm-hmm. one-time gift. Particularly, I'm looking at a credit card transaction, okay. right? Someone who is able to make that kind of gift at, at the first pass. But mm-hmm. for a smaller organization, that might be $100. You know, it, right. it, that I wouldn't hold fast to the amount, but there's something to that kind of one-time. It's not a $2 gift. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, mm-hmm. and at Catholic Extension, we are truly blessed to have donors who send back $1 and $2 cash <laughs> gifts in an envelope, and we love them. But for that major gift pipeline, you know, I would say those. Also, the reoccurring donors, a strong reoccurring gifts program is definitely going to feed major gifts and should. So one of the things about annual fund donors, and, and as we talked specifically about those $105, you know, whatever the threshold is for that one-time gift that you're looking at is they might not have had a personal communication from a frontline fundraiser before. So it's really critical to work within whatever the communication is that they're getting from Mm -hmm. annual giving. So on our team, you know, we're very careful to say, don't just take that $500 donor from annual giving and put it, put him or her in my portfolio. Mm -hmm. Like I still want that donor to get the individual giving. I want them to be in the cadence of the the mailing or the email blast. I don't want that to stop because they've responded to that already. I'm just looking to augment that. Mm -hmm. So annual fund for us, for the frontline fundraisers, the annual fund team will include us. Obviously, we know when those mailings are going out. We get the email blast in real time. So it's imperative. If I'm going to try to move this donor, I've got to work within that system. And they got that email blast. Maybe I send them a note, 
I just, you know, wanted to make sure you saw this great news we had coming out of El Paso. Thank you for your work. You're going to have to do a little bit more to get their attention, to move them into an individual relationship typically, because it's just not how they've been giving before, right? right. You've got to work and then grow within within that. But there's, there's terrific potential, I think, within that. Another piece that Catholic Extension is really intentional about is our annual fund is completely integrated with our social media team. Great. So we're making sure that all of our posts have some call to action, or if it's not a call to action, it's really clearly linked to how you can make a gift. And it's very consistent, you know, that you're feeling like what you saw on social media is what someone got over an email. It's, it's blended and it's consistent, which I think is really important because again, as the frontline fundraisers are trying to come in there and maybe intercept or grow or whatever I'm trying to do, it's super helpful to know that what they're getting is going to be, you know, top-notch, great communications, beautiful photos, all that kind of stuff from the annual fund team. Yeah, I love that point about integrating with social. And it's a credit to you and your organization for for being there, right? To be For being at that level, because we see quite often that, you know, even in 2022, that often the fundraising messaging and, and what have you is a little bit on the outside looking in on a lot of organizations social. We see it quite a bit in dioceses, you know, largely because the diocesan social channels, you know, have so much to talk about, you know, with all the different ministries and all the different parishes and bishop schedule and, you know, and what have you, that it's super difficult for development related messages, you know, or even messages linking to fundraising efforts. Sometimes very, very difficult for those messages to get out there. And I think it requires real thinking, but I think it's an important part of the strategy. And and of course, consistency and brand consistency are, are, uh, are so critical. You know, one of the things we often see, and I'm sure you have your metrics, and I'm not asking for the metrics, but, you know, a lot of Catholic organizations have an aging donor base, right? That's, and, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years, and and for 25 years, we've had an aging donor base, right? Which in and of itself makes it interesting, right? So, because some of the people that were aging 25 years ago are, you know, off in their eternal reward right now, right? Yet we still have donors coming in. So, so aging donors, are, are we going to run out of donors, Catherine, as our aging donors, you know, move on? You know, tell me a little bit about what you're doing and your thoughts, you know, around you know, the next tier and how do you approach, quote unquote, young donors? And, you know, any, any thoughts on that or maybe strategies or, or what have you? Yeah, I mean, aging is is a concern for sure that mm-hmm. I think we hear we've heard it as you just, you know, sort of eloquently stated it, that that are some of our biggest donors that we knew are, are on to their heavenly reward. But mm-hmm. I do think that there's a real opportunity with, you know, I'll call, I'll call us the Pope Francis, sure. you know, generation. And so if you look at Catholics who are in their, you know, 40s and 50s, kind of that mid professional career, maybe start to have some, you know, more money to give away, again, relatively speaking, what more means, but to Mm -hmm. give more, get more serious about their sort of philanthropy. You know, they grew up under, you know, John Paul II. And, you know, we had Benedict for a couple of years, but, you know, (laughs) Pope Francis and, you know, St. John Paul II, very similar charism. And I think that, you know, they, they know, you know, these Catholics know about, you know, the care and concern of the church. They know that Pope Francis cares about the environment and the poor and all these things. So I think there's a real connection between this demographic 
and the vision of, you know, this papacy and the church right now. What I think the church has to do mm-hmm. to get to that is be mm-hmm. a little bit more sort of forward facing and mm-hmm. really asking. So, you know, that's asking for a gift is something I think, you know, Jerry Panis <laughs> would tell us, <laughs> soul rest in peace now. But, you know, donors and and we're talking about that sweet spot of 40 50 year olds you know they know infrastructure they know that offertory is needed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know that annual fin- fund gift is needed they mm-hmm. get it you don't mm-hmm. have to you know pound them over the head with that what you need to do is move them to give to something bigger to that right. impact yep. and you also can't fall out of the sky with having a major gift officer start calling them and mm-hmm. asking for something that big. So I think this is where communications and that strong annual fund social media message really come into play. Let the social media and the annual, you know, those tactics, the mailing tactics, let them do their job. Let them keep your organization for us Catholic Extension in front of those donors, right? right. Let them you know, they're, they're inundated with all this stuff. Let that do its job and then start to build on it. Start to identify those people who are coming forward and build their giving. You know, I think that sometimes for major gifts and we're more flexible at Catholic Extension, but I, and I think other organizations are, and certainly post COVID have become more flexible about what is a major gift. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're moving a donor, a $500 donor, maybe they start giving 500 a month as a recurring donor, or right. maybe you get them to give a one, you know, they gave their 500 and now they're giving 2,500, whatever their growth pattern is, it's growth. And if they're responding to this individual relationship, keep it going yep. and be confident that their response is an affirmation that they're willing to keep going on this path and that it's supported on the church side, the vision of the Pope, you know, the mission of the church, the growth, I think all of that, you know, should build the confidence for the major gift frontline fundraiser to keep asking and growing alongside them. But I do think there's certainly, you know, much more savvy donors mm-hmm. in this demographic mm-hmm. than the donors who, you know, we saw from the golden age who maybe just, you know, gave a lot more, you know, forgivingly or willingly or however we want to categorize it. These these younger donors are going to make us work for it, but we have a lot in our pocket that I think they're going to respond really positively to. Beautifully put. And and lots of optimism and, and lots of strategy in there. And and of course, I completely agree, right? So it's, you know, it's more competitive, right? The fundraising mm-hmm. dollar is more competitive, a lot of competition, a lot of really, really good organizations, both in the Catholic Church and outside of the Catholic Church, doing very sophisticated and smart things to attract donors to their missions. And, you know, you don't use the word competitive a lot in the Catholic space, but, but it's there, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our grandparents, I'll speak for mine. I am Irish and Italian. My grandparents gave to the church. Really as simple as that, right? That's what they gave to. And then my parents, you know, had a more broadly defined, you know, philanthropic inclination, right? The church, certainly, but the local hospital and a private school that I went to and my wife and I, a more expansive you know, philanthropic list. Of course, the church remains, but there are lots of other organizations that we support, you know, that are that are of our interests or our kids' interests and or our community interest. And so there's a lot of competition and and that's a good thing. It allows us to, to do better and be smarter. But I think you say it very well that we have a great story to tell and and we've got great leaders in the church and we have organizations that are doing absolutely fantastic work. And we have to sort of boldly tell that story. 
you know, and stay front of mind, you know, at the same time, tell that story, use all the tactics and techniques necessary to, to make sure that we're not overlooked, right. Or not ignored and to earn some attention. So mm -hmm. I, I think we'll still be doing this in 10 years, I hope, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Catholic church isn't going anywhere. We'll still be at it. What do you think philanthropy, especially Catholic philanthropy looks like? Why don't we say a decade from now? Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great question. So I think that as I you know indicated, donors all donors are smart, mm -hmm. uh, and all donors are increasingly savvy. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that you know Catholic donors are and and just as you shared about your own family changing the way that they give and also where that money comes from. Mm -hmm. So we have you know donor advised funds. We have mm -hmm. match gifts that you know certainly my parents being, you know, civil servants didn't have that, you know, yeah. at their disposal. So, there's so many ways that donors leverage their gifts or have access to money and mm -hmm. that they didn't have, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So, the church has to be open to receiving that. And, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's, you know, reminding folks on the website, this are ways to give to the church, you know, being able to, however seamlessly you can accept those gifts, instructions on how to give, how to designate, all of that, not be afraid to put it out there. And I, I do hearken a little bit on the fear piece because I think that there's always a little hesitation on the church side to look like we're over asking. And I would love to point everybody in the church to every other nonprofit. <laughs> you can't click on the website without being inundated, right, with click here to give. So let's not be afraid. Let's Let's join that. So I think, you know, in 10 or 20 years, we're going to see diversified giving. I think the jury is out on cryptocurrency, but certainly <laughs> these things are these things are floating and the way that people give is is different. So we have to be we have to be out there asking and showing that we can receive these things differently than just a mail-in envelope or write a simple web form. We have to be able to show our sophistication as well. And I think the impact, I know that that seems like a sort of vague, broad word to describe mm -hmm. philanthropy, but it shouldn't be. It should be very specific and, and granular to your organization. So, you know, if you have, in the case of my parish, we are blessed with an elementary school. Mm -hmm. You know, our pastor is there every day taking pictures and posting online. The kids saying thank you. The kids saying a song and, you know, music class today. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, whatever your niche is for your organization, your your church, keep keep at it and keep because that's the kind of stuff that's going to inspire the giving because it will lead to the appropriate questions, right? So the savvy donor who has a donor advised fund who, you know, father, I could actually give the church, you know, an extra thousand dollars this year. Those kids who were singing, is that like a special program? Right. Is that a teacher who needs, right? It leads to those conversations that I mean, certainly a pastor is the ultimate major gift officer, <laughs> but right, it leads to the kind of questions that will have the long-term impact. But that stands in pretty stark contrast to the offertory envelope and the Christmas and Easter. It's a much more engaged type of philanthropy. But I think to look at the benefits that will come out of it, that is, that's the way forward for the church, Wonderful. definitely. 
That's great. And I love the much more engaged philanthropy is great. And and I also think it's time to pause to say your casual use of the pastor is the ultimate major gift officer. I deeply appreciate it. Uh, (laughs) You threw it out there like it was as natural as as can be. And and I love it, right? So not only the pastor, but uh, a lot of the religious that that work in the organizations that that we serve are the ultimate major gift officers. But unfortunately for us, they have other responsibilities. We can't always get them out there. But I I love that. So so we're going to move into our, we call it a speed round, which would suggest lots of exciting questions. So I hope the speed round delivers, but I don't know. We'll see. So you went to Seton Hall, right? So yes. what did you major in when, when Catherine Cunning was but a young college student? What was, uh, what was your major? <laughs> oh, so very sort of pedestrian English literature was my undergraduate, which I learned great things from, but not enough to cultivate a life. <laughs> so my master's program was in diplomacy and international relations. And I feel like that was my you know, real taste of sort of all things global and political. And that's really where I think I got a a big jumping off point. Great. English lit, huh? What's the best advice you've ever been given in your career? (laughs) Yeah, this is a good one. Best advice. So two things because I, I can't just give you one answer. No. You know, so one, the first one I'll say, best advice I was ever given about a challenge, you know, facing a challenge is there's nothing new under the sun. Yep. And what I take from that is there's someone out there who can help you. Mm-hmm. There's someone else who's faced something similar that you can reach out to. You're not alone in whatever this challenge is. And certainly as a major gift officer, sometimes you feel like a, a little bit of a cowboy or cowgirl. And so that, that's <laughs> helpful to be reminded of that there's others who can help. And the second one is really about work ethic. And it's when your day ends at five o'clock, which in COVID era felt like there was a never ending day, but hopefully right. in this pre-post, the beginning of the post-COVID era, we're ending our workday at some point. And this was great advice for two reasons. And I would tell this to anybody is number one for work-life balance, but number two, because the leaders in your organization, if you want to grow, they need to see that you can manage your work. Mm -hmm. And if you can't get your work done before the end of the workday, that might be a sign that you're not ready for something else. So it was really great advice. And I share that with anyone. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Good. And I need a little bit more work-life balance myself, but but still good advice. I love it. What's your favorite word? If you had to pick one word in the English language. A favorite word that I use, but I don't use enough would be cheers. I think <laughs> cheers is a great, all-inclusive, I'm happy for you. I'm grateful. Cheers. Do you say it with a faux English accent or, or do you just go with it? Well, it depends. I mean, <laughs> if it's appropriate, I will. <laughs> That's a great word. Silliest mistake. Something maybe that caused you to laugh the loudest in your in your career. Anything that when you look back on all the work that you've done, and, and you know, I have the good fortune of knowing just the sheer amount of work you've done in the organizations you've done a lot of it for. Any any audience appropriate story that that was hilarious? Maybe not so much at the time. Right. Well, I'm a klutz. I'm very clumsy. So I probably have a endless supply of coffee stained shirt stories driving. But I would say the biggest thing, the biggest incidents that I ever had, and I don't know that they were well known, was I would always get locked out when I would do the parish work, I would always get locked out of the building. (laughs) So I would never remember to stick a thing in the door to leave Mm -hmm. it propped open. And I would always go out to my car because I forgot something or was doing something. 
going and be locked out. And usually by, you know, the first week of a, of a, project where I was on site, Mm -hmm. you know, the pastor would know I need like either multiple keys or I need to know where the key is like hidden under a rock somewhere (laughs) outside so that I wasn't calling him and bothering him to get back in. So those were probably, and not just one incident, sadly. (laughs) Well, it was a well-kept secret. I never heard that when you were doing that work for us. Just last question or two, if you could live anywhere, if you could live anywhere in the world besides New Jersey, and maybe it is New Jersey. Maybe anywhere in the world is New Jersey. Right. But let's assume for a moment it's not. If you could live anywhere in the world besides New Jersey, where would it be? So I would. So hands down, I would live in Rome in a minute. Ah, great. That that would be the best place ever to awesome. live. Awesome. I love that answer. Maybe someday. And the final question: Any job in the world you can do besides being director of development for Catholic Extension? What would it be? It's a good one. I mean, I, I do have another best job in the world, which is I'm a mom. So I, I already got that checked, that bucket list item checked off. Thank well God. Done. But yeah, but I, my dream job, and it's my dream job because I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get to it. My favorite job ever was being a candy striper, and <laughs> okay. that's where I'm going back to some form of volunteering that just requires delivering flowers and interacting with people in in happy times and just really being in it. I think will be my ultimate best job. Great answer, and I think a great way to. Uh... To close out this conversation, you can't top that. That's a great answer and, and, and speaks to the quality of person that, that, you know, that I've known all these years and that I think you are. So, you know, Catherine, we certainly appreciate you being here. And uh, I think this was a great, uh, a great conversation, you know, your energy, your enthusiasm. And, and of course, what I've always admired is your, uh, your ability to get in the weeds with some real tactics and techniques and structure to what you do as well. So, uh, so I appreciate uh, and we appreciate you being here. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, John and the Lucan's company. This was really great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fundraising TLC with the Lucan's company. We can't wait to share a new episode with you next Monday. In the meantime, get more information at fundraisingtlc.com and be sure to subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.